Thanks for tuning into Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how God has used Velocity to make a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. So, uh, but excited to be here with you today. Man, has anybody felt like this series, Force of Habit, is really just, is there something that you've grabbed onto here that you've really been able to just implement to make your day-to-day better? Man, that's definitely me too. I mean, if we can recap this series, I mean, gosh, when we look at that first week, you know, Pastor Justin gave us a message about, it's about the who, it's not about the what. And, you know, leaning into that, just thinking about if you want to be, if you want to change, you have to think about who you want to be rather than focus on the activities you need to do. Man, what a powerful message that was. Then we heard from your campus pastor, my best friend, come on somebody, (laughs) Pastor Andrew, about small things and how small things make a big difference. Man, what a, what a, you know, what a powerful thing that is to know that a little change over a long period of time can make a big difference in your life. Because I don't know about you, but I have days where I'm like, man, I just got to like 180. Like I need to go in a different, complete direction. I need to change everything that I'm doing. Isn't it great to know like, no, you can get to the path where God wants you to be by being intentional in the little things. And then we heard last week from Pastor Justin again talking about, I mean, so many things in that message, but the thing that really sunk in with me was he said, it's important to give your habits a home. I mean, this was so great for me. In our 21 days of prayer and fasting uh, that I've been participating in, what I found is by giving my habits a home, you know, I wanna be intentional in being in the word. I know that's important. I wanna be intentional in my prayer life. I know that's important. But are you like me, and sometimes you get that uh, reminder on your phone, and you're like, man, I'm going to fit this in some other time. Like, maybe I'll have a few minutes after this meeting, or like, maybe I'll, you know, on the car ride home, if nobody calls, I can do it then. I love the message that we heard from our pastor about how, no, you should prioritize those things. Have, give them a place and a time that you do them, and then you're more likely, to be, you're more likely to, for that to become a real habit in your life. Man, that was so powerful for me. So if you're new I want to say you're coming in on the tail end of what I think was a powerful series to kick off the new year, and we're so glad you're here. Lots of places you could be. You chose to be here, and I would encourage you, if any of this resonated with you, jump on our website, listen to our podcast, catch up on these messages, because I believe that God has a word. He wants to speak to you through it, and it's been, man, it's been timely for me, so, you know, I, I, I may not have shared this with people, but one of my New Year's resolutions was to lose 10 pounds. And so 21 days of prayer and fasting and a series about habits, like what could be better? And I want to tell you, we're a month into 2020, and I have 12 pounds to go. So things are going great. I'm feeling good about it. Riding that out. If I'm being honest, I don't have a really good transition from that into the rest of what we're talking about today. So I just, I'm just going to dive right into that with an, with an awkward segue. And uh, I'm going to give you a verse. It's out of 2 Corinthians, and they're going to put it up on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can open to 2 Corinthians 11, and we're going to do verses 24 through 29. If you don't have your Bible, fortunately, we have this giant one right behind me that you can follow along with. Um, Here's some context before we jump into this. This is written by the Apostle Paul. This is in a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. And why I'm starting with this is, are there times in your life where you feel like You've got these obstacles that have popped up, and gosh, you're wondering how you're going to make it through. You, you know where you need to get, and you know where you are, 
and you look at what's between the right here and right now and the where I want to be and need to go, and you say, man, I, I just don't know how I'm going to get from here to there. I think sometimes, if we're being honest, like, I think we all feel like that sometimes. What's comforting to me in being in Scripture is I think a lot of times when we feel those things, we also feel like a little guilt or a little shame around about like, I don't want to share that with somebody because, you know, like, I don't think other people are experiencing this the way I'm experiencing it. And, like, they don't have any context on it, and I don't know what they would think about me if I, if I shared. What I love about Scripture is how honest Paul is about what he struggled with. So we're going to jump right in with this verse. So it's, this is Paul writing about his time in the aftermath of Jesus' ministry on earth, doing what God called him to do, which is take the good news and share it with everybody. So a small little task that the apostles got. Uh, but this is... So the tricky part of that, one, like there's a lot of people, but two, there's also a lot of people who aren't interested in hearing the good news of the gospel. And Jesus didn't say, take this to the ends of the earth to the people that are interested. He said, take this to all people. And so this is Paul's recounting his experience. So he says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Very specific number, 39 lashings. And you don't know if you're like, if you're... You know, this, to me, this just speaks to, like, sometimes when, you're, when you feel like you're taking a punch, you know exactly how many punches you're taking. Like, it's not like, oh, I took somewhere between, like, five and 12 punches. No, I, got, I get hit seven times. And so we see Paul says, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. I think it's helpful if you, like, read this in an upbeat because it's easy not to. So, like, three times I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open ocean. How many of you, after that first shipwreck, would have been like, I feel like God is calling me to a land-based ministry. I need to go start a church in Kansas, maybe, or maybe not near the ocean anymore. Or, you know, you could go a different direction and just meet, you can imagine the apostles meeting together as that kind of leadership team, and Paul saying like, hey, you know, we've been intentional about like tax collectors, uh, we've been intentional about like fishermen, can we go after some boat pilots maybe? Like maybe some of those guys need to come and be part of this? And that one really went over well at the 10 o'clock, so I don't know what's going on with you guys. You're, you're already behind. But he says, spent a night and a day in the open ocean, ocean sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, from Gentiles, from in the cities, in the country, at sea, at danger from false believers. I'm going to the next one. And... It says, I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger. I've known thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. So those are all things that are all about Paul's, the external challenges he faces. But what I love about this and why I think it, it, it spoke to me and why I believe it's going to speak to you is he didn't stop there. Is Paul said... Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And he says, who is weak that I don't feel weak? Who's led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? So it's not just about what's outside affecting Paul, but it's what's inside that's affecting him too. So I don't know, um, you know, maybe not the most encouraging place to start, but it gives you some context. I've, I've been complaining to anybody that'll listen about the difficulty of doing, I've been doing intermittent fasting and you know, my whole like, you can tell it's really been effective for me in that way, but that's not what it's about. 
It's about creating space, and the weight loss is something you shouldn't even think about. So I'm working on that myself, but I've been complaining to whoever will listen about like, man, I've been doing this intermittent fasting thing, and like, when it's eight o'clock at night, I have to stop eating until like the next day. <laughs> and then I freeze and have that dramatic pause, and a lot of times I get the same reaction I did from you guys, where people like kind of don't know how to react and politely chuckle. And like, I'm like, no, like that's, that's difficult. I mean, gosh, I was complaining to myself this morning driving down here about how many red lights there are on 6th Street between the west side of town and down here. There's one other person coming here. You know we have a west campus you can go to, and like you can just avoid all those lights. I'm just putting that out there for you. But what really speaks to me in this is Paul's vulnerability. And the question that I want to launch into with you today How do you stay faithful to the journey when right now seems impossible? So if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, I'm calling this message, this previous where we're going, the power of grit. So will you pray with me, and then we'll dive into this together. Father God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your church, God, the opportunity to hear not just some encouraging things or not just some good things, but to hear from you. Father, I believe that you have a plan and a purpose for each person's here, that you have a, a unique word and a, and, a, and a trajectory and a plan for them. And God, I believe that being here is part of it. And so God, I'm just asking that you not just help me to speak clearly, but God, help me to get out of the way so that your people can hear from you. And God, I just pray that people have open eyes, open ears, but most importantly, open hearts to receive it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody believes that can say amen. 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 So when we talk about that, How do we face adversity? How do we handle difficulty? How do we overcome obstacles? What was helpful for me in thinking about how to prepare this message for you is to learn, and hopefully it's helpful for you to hear, you're not the only one that faces obstacles. You're not the only one who feels like there are challenges that you don't know how you're going to make it through. And this is so pervasive that there was a case study that I was reading that I'm going to draw on today on West Point. Now, you may know a little bit about West Point, maybe not, but West Point is the premier military academy in the United States, and I would argue in the world. It has a rigorous admissions process. It is not an easy place to get admitted to. And so before you can get into West Point, you have to clear all these hurdles of grades, of uh, achievement, of test scores, physical fitness, they do leadership assessment, all of these things just to clear the bar to be admitted to West Point. And so you would think West Point is getting the best and the brightest, the most motivated, the people who, who on paper are best positioned to come in and succeed in this environment, this obviously very challenging environment. West Point had a problem, and it was a problem that the Army couldn't figure out how to solve. And that problem was before you could even start your freshman year at West Point, you had to come in the summer before for training. The problem that West Point had is one out of every 20 new cadets that showed up dropped out during that training period, did not even make it to day one of their freshman year. The Army's best and brightest couldn't figure out why this was happening. And the crazy thing is they know all these things about about their cadets. They know... Their background, they've interviewed them, they know their families, they've done leadership assessments, they've done personality profiles, they know their test scores, they they know their physical fitness, 
They know their medical history, like all the things that you could imagine, all the characteristics that maybe you would say, if I know these things, I'm going to be able to predict and weed out the people who are going to drop out in that early training period and give that spot to somebody else. I mean, you think about this, this means if you go by how many students they admit, this means 60 spots a year at West Point go unfilled because they've admitted a student who doesn't then follow through. That's a big problem. So the Army's best and brightest aren't able to figure this out. So they do something interesting and a little non-conventional. They bring in a researcher from the University of Pennsylvania, and her name is Angela Duckworth. Has anybody heard of her? Okay, got like one hand. Some of you can just make up things and you have no idea whether I'm telling you the truth or not. But so the other thing you may not know about me, in addition to being a pastor here at Velocity, I'm also a professor on campus and I teach education policy and education finance. So I know this name because this is somebody who works in the same field that I work in. And, and, and why I think she was the right person to bring in is because she pioneered a new field of study called grittiness. And the concept of grittiness is different than talent and gifts and abilities. The concept of grittiness is all about there seem to be people who can just overcome adversity, people who are more resilient, people who are able to overcome an obstacle or take a punch and keep moving. There are people who are better at that and people who are worse at that. What this professor from Penn realized is that we can study the people who are really good at it and the people who are not so good and learn about like what is this what it, what is it that makes somebody gritty and so here's what she did she came in on day 1 and administered a test that she had created a survey to measure grittiness and she gave it to every one of those incoming freshmen on the first day of their training before they had gone through anything at West Point and here's what she found Talent doesn't predict who they are, who's going to drop out. Skill, background, resume, none of those things matter. The only thing that mattered, level of grittiness. If you know who's gritty, you know who's going to make it through. And if you know who's not, then you know who's going to fail. The bi so grittiness, the, the short version here, grittiness makes it more likely that you're going to be successful in your life, independent of everything else. The Bible is full of of gritty people. When I think about gritty people, I'll go back to Paul. And uh, let's put those verses, the scripture back up. Paul's a gritty dude. Uh, if you don't know Paul, he's also a very accomplished guy. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Accomplished so much. And you look through this list this is the stuff that got in the way of Paul's ability to do the things that God had called him and purposed him to do. These are the things that he overcame. So here's what I want to share with you is that Paul has always been a hero of mine, but not because he's a gritty guy. As somebody who grew up and has existed in an academic culture, Paul was somebody that I related to because we know, we know some things about Paul. We know that biblical scholars often call Paul a genius. They say he was the smartest of all the apostles. Uh, scholars know that Paul went to the best and the brightest schools, and he was always top of the class. We know that Paul spoke multiple languages. We know that he was trained in Greek and Roman culture. We know he knew philosophy. So Paul was a smart guy who had a lot of gifts and talents and abilities. He could obviously write 
and speak very persuasively. Those are the characteristics that drew me to Paul initially. Because as somebody who existed in academia, I can look at those things compared to the other apostles who were fishermen, laborers, tax collectors, you know, people who actually do practical things that help people. Um, don't, don't tell my KU colleagues that I said that if you talk to them. But I could, re- you get what I'm saying? I could resonate with Paul. Like I understood him. And I could look at him and say, man, what an amazing thing it is. He has these gifts, talents, abilities, and he used those and brought, and, and the kingdom grew so much because of it. But I realized that I was wrong. And it leads to my first point. We'll put it up on the screen. It's not about your gifts. It's about your grit. What I realized, this is Paul's story. What made him successful wasn't that he was the best and the brightest. And here's the thing. There are a lot of really smart people. Maybe Paul was a little smarter than most of them. But there are a lot of accomplished people who had the same kind of resume that Paul did. Same background. They didn't accomplish what Paul accomplished. And I think the characteristic of Paul that I realize is the most important is that he faced a lot of adversity. Adversity out there, but also adversity in here and adversity in here. Paul didn't allow those things to derail him. He had confidence that regardless of the circumstance, he was where God wanted him to be. And he figured out ways to push through. So what I realized is this is a powerful thing to look, through, look at Paul through a lens of grit, not a lens of gifts. And here's why. In your life, have you ever looked at the accomplishments of somebody else and say, man, that's really great, but I can never do that because I don't have what they have? I mean, my wife's sitting here on the front row, so I, I hate to say this in front of all you people, but it doesn't matter how much time I spend in a gym, I'm never going to get the NBA contract that LeBron has. <laughs> so if you're counting, what, I mean, you guys laughed a little too much for that, but that's okay. <laughs> and the reason I don't, have that, I don't have the gift that LeBron has, I mean, I could go get the, the coolest, newest shoes, I could find the, uh, the slimmest possible jeans, but I'm still never going to be who Pastor Justin is. (laughs) Because I don't have, and this is what I tell myself, because I don't have the gifts that he has. And when you say that, what you're telling yourself is, you're making an excuse. I can't do that because I don't have it, is the same thing as, if I had that, then I could do it. And what you need to know is, that's a lie that you tell yourself. So, Being gritty matters. This is the story of the kids at West Point, and here's what they found. West Point is admitting the best and brightest, right? All the people who are top of the class, best on the charts and everything. But what this professor at Penn found that I think is fascinating is that in a lot of cases, the most talented people are actually the least gritty. Not always, but a lot of the times, and here's why. If you're always the best and the brightest, you can coast on that to pull you through circumstances when other people have to work hard to achieve what you're achieving. So what they found is for these students at West Point, the ones who were failing out were the ones who had coasted on their talent. They had always been the best and brightest until they weren't anymore. 
And now they're in an environment where my talent's not just going to push me over the finish line here and I need something else. And they go to that tank and that gas tank is empty because they've never developed it. So what I want you to hear, talents are important, sure. But if you want to put a recipe for success, I would take a little bit of talent and a lot of grit is going to take you a lot farther in life than a lot of talent and a little bit of grit. And here's why that should be encouraging to you. You can't change your gifts, but you can grow your grit. All of us can grow our grit. So the question you probably have is, okay, it's great, Pastor Jacob, how do I do that? Well, science doesn't really know. So that's all the time I have. We'll see you next week for the, for the new series. No, this is what's cool. Science doesn't know. We're still working on those things. But Scripture gives us clear pathways to growing grid. And this is what I love, is when these two things come together. So we know a little bit about the medical study, and we can look at Scripture and be like, man, that was there all along. We just needed some confirmation so we could see it. And so that gets to the second point, is if you want to grow your grit, you can't be focused on results. you got to be focused on the regimen. And we got that on a slide right there. So what does this mean? It means gritty people think about the world differently than everybody else. So I want everybody to engage with me for a second. Close your eyes. Now I want you in your mind to picture a successful person. Got a clear image of a successful person in your mind? Okay, open your eyes. Now I want you to ask yourself, what did that successful person look like? For a lot of us, and the question I want you to answer, how do you know they were successful based on the image that you had? For a lot of us, we're looking at things like they're rich, they're accomplished, they're recognized, they're award-winning, they have a lot of followers on social media, whatever that is. But what gritty people know that non-gritty people don't is that all those things I just talked about aren't success. Those are rewards of success. And we live in a culture that tricks us to think those are the same thing. What keeps a lot of us from building grit is that we're confused. Andy Stanley sums this up in his book, Visioneering. It's an amazing book, by the way. And what he says is, if you were where God wants you to be, fulfilling the responsibilities he's given you, then you are, by definition, successful. Success is remaining faithful to the process God's laid out for you. Society tricks you. It fools us into thinking that the rewards of success are success itself. There's nothing wrong with all of those things that I mentioned. But you got to know we live in a resume culture. We live in a culture that's all about what promotions did I get? How much money do I make? How many wins did I get? How many followers do I have? How much influence have I gained? All of those things. Nothing inherently bad with any of those things. But seeing from what they are, those are the mile markers along the way that are there to be enjoyable. Those aren't success. Gritty people know the difference. So let's think about the Chiefs for a minute. Yeah, let's give it up for the Chiefs. So I'm just saying, just making a statement of faith from the platform, that next week our Chiefs will win a Super Bowl. All right? I mean, if that doesn't get engagement in church, like what are we doing? But here's what I want you to think about. So are the Chiefs only successful at the moment that they're handed the trophy? 
Does, does, does possessing the trophy define what success is for the Chiefs? No, obviously not. So when, when were the Chiefs successful? They've been successful all season. When they, bought, when they all bought in together about if we work together, sacrifice and buy in for each other, we can do more than if we don't. They're successful. When they put in the work in the weight room, they're successful. The work in the practice field, successful. Front office making personnel moves, successful. All, but all of those things to somebody on the outside are mostly invisible. You don't see them. But those are the things that are success. Getting that trophy, getting that ring, that's the reward of success. Keep those two things separate. Paul puts it this way in another letter that he wrote. He says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Here's why I love this verse. It shows that Paul, our biblical model of grit, was balanced on success on one hand and the rewards of success on the other. Yeah, there will be a reward. And Paul acknowledges it. Looks forward to it, but it's not his exclusive focus. He wants us to be focused on the regimen. What are we doing today that will allow us to stay faithful to the process? And he gives you a really specific instruction here that you probably missed, because I missed it the first, I don't even know how many times I read this verse. And this week, as I was studying this to prepare for you, it came to me. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. It's easy to focus on that word weary. It has a very specific meaning in the sense of like sit down and rest your weary legs. The word weary by itself is a physical condition. This isn't how Paul's using it. He isn't saying don't exert yourself to uh, the point of physical exhaustion. Paul uses the phrase not weary, but weary of. That of is important. Weary of means something completely different. Weary of is not a physical condition. Weary of is a mental condition. What weary of means is to become bored with something because you've experienced it before. Paul's telling us not to allow the regimen, the routine, the, 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 the repetition to get in the way of staying faithful to the path that you know you are going to be on. So he says, those things may not generate an immediate reward. That extra workout in the weight room, that team meeting where they're talking about strategy, all those things that the Chiefs did, they're going to lead to their success. Invisible, but critical. Because if you're not doing those things and you don't recognize that those things themselves are success, you're going to give up before you ever get to the point where the reward's available. So how do you build grit? You make the choice to go against culture and shift your mindset. You tell yourself you're not going to be results-focused anymore. And stop, here's the other part, stop feeling like a failure every day that you don't have the reward. We live in a culture that tells us that we're failing if we're not experiencing the reward. If you don't have the resume, you've missed it. Can we put that verse from Corinthians back up there, the laundry list from Paul? Here's what I want you to see. This is Paul's resume. This tells us how far our culture has diverged from where God wants us to be. 
Could you imagine somebody walks into your office and hands you, say, hey, I want a job with your place, okay, give me your resume. And they hand you a piece of paper that says, I've been lashed a bunch of times, I was beaten with stones, I was shipwrecked. You're going to be like, what are you doing? Like, I'm not giving you a job. Like, what have you accomplished? All this is, is like, get out of here before something bad happens to us. (laughs) But what you need to recognize is this is Paul's resume. This isn't what our culture says you should put on your resume. So make the choice to lean into, not the reward of success, but every day where, you're, where you do your best with where you are and what you have is a successful day, in, not just in your eyes, but in God's eyes too. If you make that choice, you'll start to build grit. So we've talked about grit, how to develop it, but what I want to tell you is there's still one piece of the picture that's incomplete, because if you walked out right now, you would think, okay, the instruction that I got is just to like hunker down, to, to, to get busy with the grind, to endure. Those are important, but if you do that all by itself, you're not going to build grit. So at least the third point, this is our last one. It's not about action, it's about attitude. So when you think about the word grit, what do you think about? A lot of us think about resilient. And when I think about resilient, you know who I picture? Rocky. How many of you guys, does anybody here has never seen a Rocky movie? Oh my gosh, like what is wrong with you people? Like go, go home and put a television on USA and you will see one today probably. So why Rocky is the picture of resilience is because, here's spoiler alert, so if you want to watch it now, don't even worry about it. There's not much to spoil. The end scene for every Rocky movie is the same. He's getting the snot beaten out of him. Like to the point where whoever he's fighting, whether it's Mr. T or like some big Russian guy, is like Rocky's across the ring and this guy is like running across full speed and just punches Rocky in the face. And like Rocky doesn't even have his hands up, like he's not even guarding it. And he just like takes it in the face and like in a bloody heap collapses to the ground. But that's not where it stops. Rocky's resilient. He picks himself up. He keeps going. That picking yourself up and keep going is an important part of grittiness, but it's not the whole thing. True grittiness has one more component, hope. Gritty people have hope. This is a specific hope. This isn't hope the way that we use it a lot. That's like, man, I sure hope that lunch is good today, or like, man, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. That's not the context of hope that we're talking about. Hope in this context is a very specific, not general, actionable belief. And I love how they say it in Hebrews, and this is our last verse for today. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We hear those words together a lot, faith and hope, faith and hope, faith and hope. But the writer here is using them in a different context, in the sense of it's specific that faith is confidence in what we hope for right now have a specific kind of confidence, confidence that what you hope for will be because of what you're doing right now. They also talk about in that verse about assurances and what we don't see. Gosh, the recognition that God is expecting us to do our part, but alone we can't do it. Let me say that again. God is expecting us to do our part, but alone we can't do it. So we have to do our part, but we have to trust that God will honor his promise and show up and do the rest. So how do you build that hope? Lots of ways to get there that we don't have time to talk about. Uh, But I'll give you the one that West Point did. West Point built in uh, a training for their 
uh, cadets that was called that was called positive uh, positive auditory uh, I'm struggling with it positive auditory self-reinforcement so we're gonna call it don't google it that's probably wrong but here's here's the point of what that was what they trained their cadets to do was when they faced a challenge that they felt like they couldn't make it over to stop and say out loud to themselves I can I have enough I can I have what it takes to make it through this I can do this like literally to say it out loud to themselves doesn't that sound ridiculous like how would that make a difference but what they found is just pausing and connecting your mental state with physical words and pulling in your like makes a difference for those people another one is recognizing adopting a growth mindset that's another one about like you're not gonna let your talents be the lid on what you're gonna achieve but I'm gonna give it to you even easier than that the easiest way to grow hope, to become more resilient, to grow, to become grittier, is to ask for help. This is where the Rocky analogy breaks down. Because in boxing, you're laying on the mat and you gotta get yourself up. No one's allowed to help you. But gosh, wouldn't it be easier in life if, if, if somebody was allowed to come into the ring and take Rocky's hand and pull him back up onto his feet? That would be a much easier way to do that than to do it himself. And what you need to know is that one of the best ways to get grittier, to build good habits, is to just surround yourself with people who have those things. That's why coming to church is so important. But here's the other piece. If you're in one of those uh, group shirts, will you stand up for a second? So we got people all over this room who are representing our groups. You have, thank you, you can sit down. Can we give them a round of applause? Have the opportunity this is, this is one of the reasons that we do groups at Velocity Church, is to give you an opportunity to surround yourself with those people. We're launching groups this week. The easiest way to become grittier, to build hope, to build your resilience, is being around people who have those things. I would say get signed up in a group. Talk to somebody in one of these shirts or one of our team shirts in the lobby. They would love to help you get plugged into a group, and it will make a difference in your life but you have another source and strength available to you as well, God. God created you all with talents, gifts, and abilities, but you're never gonna reach your highest potential without him. He gave you those things, but he never purposed you to go through it alone. So the best part about that is his help is so easy to get. All you have to do is to ask for it. None of us are strong enough to do it alone, just like Paul. When we talk about how do you build grit, the way Paul did it was to be around other believers. You can do that too, but surrendering yourself to God's will is that next step. We need God's help to be the best versions of ourselves. Thank you so much for joining us for this teaching at Velocity. For more great messages just like these, remember to subscribe. That way you won't miss anything. If today's message impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can do so by going to findvelocity.org give and partnering with us financially. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope this message inspired you, built your faith, and helped you see how God is moving in your life.